Amen. You can have a seat. Yeah, God is so good. I appreciate Chris allowing me to come to speak and uh, encourage you through the word. Uh, we entitled the message, Divine Direction. Divine Direction. So I want to ask you a question. How important is directions? Pretty, very, there you go, I like that. Very, very important. Directions are very important. If you didn't have the right directions, you, you won't be here this morning. There may be some that, that didn't get the right directions this morning. Matter of fact, I'm convinced some didn't get the right directions. I prayed for them last night that the Holy Spirit would wake them up early and they'd be here. Some of them got the wrong direction. But you got the right direction. You, you, you're here. So the, the direction is very, very important. Divine direction is even more and more important. A couple months ago, I was reading this an article, and it was these four Nigerians who were trying to escape their country to go to a better place, and, and they wanted to get on a cargo ship to head to Europe. And so one of the guys' name, his name is Roman Friday. I don't know if that's his real name or not, but I like it. Roman Friday. He got on a little fishing boat, and they dropped him off to, at the back of the boat to get on the rudder. Now, I think most of us know that a rudder is what gives direction to, to the cargo ship to turn left or right or whatever. It doesn't empower anything. It just gives direction. And so he got out of the boat, and when he got there, he realized there was three other guys there. It kind of scared him at first because they, they all wanted to, to escape. But I want you to show this picture. I think we've got it on there. Yeah. I mean, is that, that's a massive, and they're sitting on the rudder there. But here's what happened. They're, they thought the direction was going to head them to uh, Europe. 14 days later, <clears throat> crossing the Atlantic, they arrive in Brazil. <laughs> I mean, and for the last four days, they, they had nothing to eat. They did the best they could to take salt water and sift it through their clothing to, to drink it. But they, in other words, needed a new start. And, and when they were interviewing Roman, he he said it was very scary at times. They'd see massive whales at the back of the boat and, and sharks at the back of the boat. And, uh, but direction. Matter of fact, think about it. They are setting on the rudder. They're setting on the thing that gives them direction. Their only thing is they, they didn't look at their boarding pass. They had, they would have known they were going to go to Brazil. So let me give you a couple of definitions. Divine direction. I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a very word-driven uh, guy. I want to make certain. Sometimes I'll, I'll be talking, someone say a word. I know I know the meaning, but I want to go, I want to make certain because uh, I'm just very, that words mean, words are very powerful. And so when you think of the word divine, it means God's deity, God's deity. Uh, this is divine word. It means it comes from the deity of God. It, it's divine. It, it's godly. But then direction just means a course along where someone or something moves. So all of us this morning, we, we are heading a direction. Every single one of you, you're heading a direction. This past week, you headed a direction. Hopefully it was all good. Hopefully it was all divine. But you, you headed a direction. Now, one of my goals here in, in, in the Word is, is to teach today and to equip you today and and to walk in that divine direction, but I want you to get so good at it that you can help other people. Wouldn't it be nice if our country and our world was on a divine direction? Now, overall, we are. Us Christians, we're going to get there. 
We, we know the, the glorious future that we have. Many of you have read or watched the movie Alice in Wonderland, and there's a part in there where Alice runs into the cat and says, uh, would you tell me which way I ought to go from here? That's a good question. Which way should I what ought to go from here? And the cat says, uh, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. I mean, th this is deep. So you, you have permission, if, you, if you're not seeing it, go read it. And Alice says, I don't much care where. That, that is sad. And the cat says, then it doesn't much matter which way you go. <laughs> right. There's a lot of people living like that. Some have given up. We just go, I don't, I, it's, no. Some haven't given up. They just keep making wrong decisions. See, here's what I want you to understand. And this is a aha moment. Every decision equals a direction. You, you, every decision equals a direction. You make good, good decisions, you, you, you go the right direction. You make bad. If God says left, you go right. And if God says right, you go left. Guess what? You're not going to get to where God wants you to be. So we have a rudder in our own life. We have a soul. And the rudder of the soul is the will. You think about it, you have a mind. And I can't see your mind. Now, I can see your body. You can see my body. You can't see my mind. But we have a mind, will, and emotions. That, that's, that's the inner, inner soul. Now, sometimes when the Bible uses the word soul, it, it'll, it'll include the body. But think about this. I want you to catch this. You have a mind, you have a will, and you have emotions. Most of us can feel our emotions pretty easy, right? I'm agitated. I'm happy, I'm glad, I'm frustrated, whatever. All kinds of different emotions. And if we're not careful, we can, we can lead life and make decisions just on our emotions alone. Now, here's the thing you need to understand about our emotions. Our emotions and our mind, are, are, there's not much difference. In, I mean, you can hardly dissect it. What you're thinking is what you will feel. So if you go, why do I feel angry? Because you're thinking angry. Something, something that you're thinking is bothering you. But here's the bottom line when we talk about direction. It's the will. It's the will that makes the ultimate decision. So the will has mind. It has information. It has emotions. But we as Christians, guess what? The true rudder of our will is God. And so we're in the book of Mark. We've been in Mark for about, what, five or six weeks, I guess, and and uh, I know Chris spoke last week, and JoJo spoke the week before, and did an awesome job. And so we're going to pick up there because Jesus modeled a life of divine direction. You can write that down. It's on the screen. Jesus modeled a life of divine direction. I mean, Jesus was divine, but he had a choice. But he modeled. I, I love the Word of God. I I'm thankful that the Word of God has models in it. Sometimes it's not a good model. Jesus is always a great, perfect model. And so look what it says over in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, just to give you an example of how he modeled divine direction. It says, for even the Son of Man came, I've got it circled in my Bible, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Think about this. This is Jesus who left heaven, perfection place, and he comes and he's born in, a, in an inn or house, manger, whatever you want to call it. It's basically it was a cave, house there in Bethlehem, and, and he, he, he 
He modeled, I came to serve. I came to serve. Now, if that's what he modeled, guess what? If we have divine direction, we're going to model being a servant. We're going to serve. And if you're walking with the rudder of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Serving's a blast. Now, you may get tired, but, but inwardly, it, it's a blast. But then he says, he, but he also came uh, to give. He gave his life. So he modeled that. Look what it says over in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 19, 10. It says, for the Son of Man, and we come again, for the Son of Man came. He's telling us why. And I could give you many other verses, but we don't want to spend all the time just on this. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Divine direction. He came to seek and save the lost. Guess what? He came to seek you and me. And hopefully we have allowed him to find us. So I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. But here's what you can. If you want to model like him, you need to be seeking that which is lost. You know, we live in a cycle of lostness. Just keeps repeating. Matter of fact, it gets larger and larger. A cycle of oppression, a cycle of captivity. We, we live in that cycle. Guess what? Jesus came to break that cycle. Awesome that you said amen. Man, that was phenomenal. I'll say it again. Jesus came to break that cycle of lostness. He came to break that cycle of oppression and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, whatever. He came to break that. Amen. There we go. We got a few. All right. You're still trying to get over the guy sitting on the rudder on the ship. I, I got you. Yeah, I, I got lost there too. So he modeled it. Same thing when you see Jesus always had a reason to get up. Always had a reason to get up. You, know, you got up this morning, you had a reason to get up. Part of the reason was to come here. But tomorrow you're going to have a reason to get up. But here's, if we're not careful, even as Christians, we, we, our, our reason can be just to go to work. And, and that's a good reason. It's not a great reason. A great reason be going, I got a good reason to go to work, but I'm going to be used at, at work by God. Now that's a great reason to get up. I'm going to go to school tomorrow. That, that's a good reason to get up to go to school. I, I, I know there's a little groaning there. But a great reason to get up and go to school is that you can model and share Jesus, however that looks. So you had a reason to get up. Look what it says over Mark. We're going to, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick up. Let me kind of give you the setting here. Let me, let me give you the, the setting a little bit. Jesus had on the Sabbath, that would be a Saturday for us. The Sabbath was a, was a Saturday. It started uh, on Friday evening when I believe there's three, either three or five stars when you see that the Sabbath begins and it goes through Saturday evening at dusk when you see, I think it's either three or five stars appear and Sabbath is over. And Jesus came to, under, came to explain what really Sabbath was. For, for, men, for the Jews, most of the Jews, Sabbath was a legalistic thing to do. They didn't understand the total meaning of the Sabbath. So here's what Jesus does on this one occasion. You've already heard it. I'm not going to go into detail because Joe and Chris already talked about it. But on one Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue. And I've been on top of that synagogue there seven times there in, in Nazareth. And he was there, and there was a man there who was possessed with an evil spirit. And Jesus cast the spirit out. 
Everybody was amazed, like, wow, this guy's got some kind of authority. Then he leaves, and he goes about 100 yards, and he goes to Peter's house. And when they get there, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed, and we, we, the story goes, and Jesus comes in and heals her. Then at evening, it says at dusk, that evening, a crowd of people are coming to Peter's house because they, they are sick, they have disease, they're demon-possessed, and Jesus spends, we don't know how long, but a long time casting demons out, healing people, ministering to people. Probably went into the late evening. So that's sort of the, the setting, but listen what happens. Okay, I don't know about you, but now this is Sunday morning. It says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark. How many of you guys have been so exhausted you didn't want to get up early in the morning? Everybody has, right? You know Jesus physically was exhausted. You know Jesus was tired, right? We, we know he got tired. But yet he gets up very, very early. It says, even before the sun came up, he had a reason to get up. Now, here's the question. I wrote this in my Bible when I was praying through it months ago. How early, how early are we supposed to get up? And I was talking to a guy the other day. He gets up at 4.15. I don't really want, that's, that's awesome for him. Okay, but how many of you have heard people talk like that and they share their story, which is awesome, it's good, but you just go, that's not me. 4.15, that's my third potty break at night, okay? You know, some of you men, some of you guys act like you ain't, they don't happen to you. Come on, you know it does. <laughs> Here's what I would say. You need to get up early enough that you can meet with God, and when you leave the house, you're right with him and you're ready to do the day. Whatever time that is. So don't get, don't get some of you, oh, I'm so glad to hear that because I kept thinking I need to get up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And, and, and if you do, great, awesome. But for this, Jesus had to get up early enough because he knew the ministry was not over. He had to be prepared. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But he always had a reason to get up. I want to ask you a question. Do you have a, I mean, a dynamic, divine reason to get up every day? If you don't, my prayer would be you'd find that. Because I'm going to tell you, energy comes when you've got a real divine reason to get up. Next thing I want you to see is this. Jesus knew when to depart from busyness. He knew when to depart from business. Now, when we hear the word business, we always think of business as just bad stuff, you know, or time-wasting stuff. No, busyness is just busy. How many of you got a calendar that's pretty busy? Probably every one of you. And you don't have to work hard at it, do you? If you have children, you're busy. <laughs> so we see here that he departs. Basically, what we're seeing is that he's going to depart from the business or the demands and expectations. That's while still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, a desolate place. Now, when you read it, you think, oh, well, where can I go to a desolate place? I went to a desolate place this morning. I've got a place every morning that's a desolate place. It's on, it's on the second floor of our house. Got a little desk in there. Got a little recliner there. It's a very simple little room. And I go in there and I have my Bible 
Teresa's not in there. No kids are in there. No grandkids are in there. You go, huh, I don't live that lifestyle. Well, Chris didn't just jump out one day and he's 30-something years old. <laughs> okay. You have to find, and Jesus found a, place, a wilderness place, a desolate place. All it means is a quiet place. Now, I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again today. Many of you here, you're young and you're married and you got kids, husbands. You help your wife go find the desolate place for a while. There would have been a lot of women saying, yeah! <laughs> Vice versa, women, you help your husband go find that desolate place. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you don't find that desolate, quiet place, your husband ain't going to be the husband you want him to be. And vice versa, your wife's not going to be. She needs, it's time that you get away from everything. A desolate place. That's what he says there. He found a desolate place. Away from busyness. And I suggest don't have your agenda on a desk. Don't have your cell phone on the desk. Because if you're not careful, even though there's nobody there, there's thousands of people there because they're right there on your phone waiting for you. Do you know that business is always looking for you? And some of you go, yeah, it always finds me. There's a lot of busyness, time wasters that, that, that we need to get away from. How much time do you spend searching on social media and talking, going back and forth? I mean, look, I'm so old school. I, I, I apologize. No, I don't apologize. I'm old school. I think I follow three or four people on Instagram and, you know, I feel like I know enough what's going on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to know what everybody is doing. I, I don't, that drives me. I don't, I don't see how you do it. But I, but I also know this. I see the fruit of it. Could be called, well, you can fill in the blank. Jesus, Jesus being the Son of God, had to find a, a place to depart from business every day. Don't you think we need to do the same thing? See, ministry, Jesus even departed from ministry. You know, you can get so busy doing ministry that you can burn out because you didn't find your desolate departing place, which leads us to, well, let me go ahead and look Mark 1, 36 and 37. I'm going to skip a verse, but I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Look what it says in 36 and 37. It says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. I mean, that's a bummer. Now, let's don't be judgmental on Peter yet. He didn't know this lifestyle yet. He was still coming out of Jewish legalism and everything, and he's following Jesus, and he, he thought he was doing an awesome, great, and mighty thing because he go, wow, man, just yesterday I, we saw this demon-possessed guy in the, in the synagogue, you know, get set free, and, and we saw, saw, saw my mother-in-law get healed, and she got to go cook. That was good. And all those people who came to our house that evening and, and outside waiting in line, and they got, got healed and, and delivered and everything. That was good. Man, we need to go find Jesus. We, we got thousands and thousands more people. And he goes, looks, and he finds him. That ever happened to you? you? You go into that desolate, quiet place and knock, knock, knock. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it says they searched for him. Look what it says in verse 37. And they found him. They found him. And this is what he says. <laughs> Some of you moms can relate to this. Everyone is looking for you. You ever, you ever feel that way? Everyone's looking for you. 
Ja, na. But Jesus always departed, whether it was on a mountaintop, where it was that, he found a place where he could get away from the demands of life. And we're going to see, what did he do? Well, Jesus always found a solitude with the Father. He always found a solitude with the Father. Solitude. It's not a word that we use very often, but let's just put it in context. You look what it says in verse 35D. Okay, He went to a desolate place, but why did he go to a desolate place? Now, there's some times to go to a desert place and take a, a nap. I, I get that. But the goal here, what we're talking about, is we want to find that desolate, desolate, quiet place. We want to find solitude. And the real solitude we're talking about is found there. It says, and there he prayed. There he prayed. There he prayed. I mean, wouldn't you have liked to just hung with Jesus about three or four times and just listen in on his prayer? Now, we got a, some of his prayers in the scripture, but wow, he had such a uniqueness. Here he is God in the bod, but yet he always knew, man, I got to spend time with dad. I got to spend time with the father. I got to spend time. I'm going to go back to the soul again. Now, Jesus had a perfect soul. You and I don't. His mind was perfect. His will was perfect. His emotions were perfect. Everything was totally in line with, with Father God. Part of our solitude, guys, is to get what, what what's, you see in the Psalms, soul rest. You need your soul renewed. Now, we all know, whether we do it or not, we all know that we want to keep our body fit, right? Body fit, body, whatever you want to do, you know? But, and we can see, and we can watch TV, all that, but how do you, what about soul fitness? How much time do you spend a day for soul fitness? How much time every day do you take for the Word of God? Say, you know what? I want my mind to be clear. I want my mind to be stronger. I want my emotions to be stronger. I, I want my soul. You go, well, I'm doing pretty good right now. Life is only kind of throwing about 15 pounds at me. Yeah, but you know what? Next week, it can throw 50 pounds at you. And is your soul, I mean, it's your mind, will, and emotions in alignment with the Word of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we see here, part of his, that's part of that is getting divine direction so that I know him well. Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God, and I'm, I'm with three guys going through it right now. Uh, we've been going for about five, six months. We started with foundations, which is the best way to start before you get to Experiencing God. But one of the comments he says in Experiencing God, and we put in our foundations class, that if you can't hear God, you're in trouble, basically, at the crux of Christianity. Because Christianity is not about legalism. Christianity is about a fellowship with God, hearing God, believing God, and obeying God. And so we, we want to have our soul so strong and so prepared. And so what Jesus is doing here, you know, although he has a perfect soul, we need soul time with the Father. Do you know that everybody that's ever created has a hunger for Father? I'm going to say this again because maybe some of you, you are listening online and everybody that's ever created, because God wired us a certain way, says that he creates us with eternity in our heart, a desire for eternity in our heart. In other words, even more specific, every one of us have a desire for Father. Every single person from here to there, I'm telling you what, your soul is chasing a relationship with Father. Now, I'm thankful that we have 
you know, fathers. My father passed years ago. Chris has a father. He, he's looking at me right now. But I'm, I'm not good enough to fulfill what he needs. You can say amen. I'm not bothered. And neither are his kids. And it's good that you got a good dad. Some of you may not have had a good dad. I, I don't know. But I don't tell you, every one of your soul is chasing, chasing, chasing after father. And the only true father, to, you know, not, we, I'm thankful for biological fathers. I'm thankful for mentoring fathers. It's all good. It's all stuff that the Bible teaches. But there's a father that if you're not chasing, you're not going to live in divine direction. For some of you, you just go, aha, that's why I'm chasing this, and it's empty. I chase this, and it's empty. I chase this, and it's empty. I chase this, and it's empty. Yeah, you can, if, and all those things may be good, but they're not good enough for what your soul needs. Your soul needs this. Yeah, man, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. You say, John, I, I hear you, I, I believe you, but I don't know how to do that. That's why we keep saying, get into our discipleship. Get, come to foundations. Find somebody who's walking and knows how to fellowship with God with, with this as our guide. I challenge you to learn how to pray with God through the Bible. What a guide, what a guide. See what happens. Look what it says in Psalms 19, 7 and 8. I gotta walk over here. I don't want to turn my Bible. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. The truth, it's perfect. Look what it says: reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. Do you know that every single day your soul needs to be revived? It does. Reviving the soul doesn't mean, okay, I go to bed and I wake up the next morning empty. No, that's not what I'm saying. But it needs to be revived, revived, revived. The Word of God revives. When you, when you learn the fellowship with Him, the living Word, and read and pray through with Him on that, it, it, it revives the soul. It strengthens the soul. Let's read the rest of that, that verse. It says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. All right, let's go to the next part. It says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. In other words, what he's saying, rejoicing the soul. You know, most of the time, you can ask my kids, you can ask my wife. I know, I'll just say it this way. When I'm walking with him on a regular basis, my heart is rejoicing. That doesn't mean I don't get frustrated. Doesn't mean I don't get edgy. At times, it doesn't mean all that, but I'm just saying this, but consistently, my heart. Look, look at the last part. I, I love this, because this is kind of the give giveaway here. It says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You ever looked at some people's eyes and they just look sad? You know why their eyes look sad? Because they're sad. You ever looked at people's eyes and they just look glad? Why, why do, their, do their eyes look glad? Because they're glad. He said, well, I, I'm just not going to let anybody see my eyes. Well, then you, that's, a, that's, a even, that's a giveaway. Listen, I'm convinced we as Christians, if we're walking with God, we ought to be discerning enough to look at people's eyes and be able to say, hey, what? Because what? there's the, the, the window of the soul there, you, you can look. 
We've got to be discerning enough to go, you know, maybe we only pray and say, you know, that person looks sad. Oh, God, I don't know why they're sad, but I, I pray that they would come glad. God may say, you know what? Why don't you go help them be glad? Why don't you go pray for them? Why don't, why don't you see what, what, what needs to be, what course redirection do they need? And we do that. That's what we should, should do. So every day we should restore. Next thing. Jesus' intimate departures led to his divine direction. I'm going to say this again. This is so simple. Jesus' intimate partners, intimate, intimate, intimate. You know, I'm all for discipline on, you know what, are you having your quiet time? Yeah, I checked it off. Are you having your devos? Yeah, I checked them off. And and I understand the intent on a lot of that, but the goal is not just to do a devo or whatever, a quiet time. It's to have intimacy time with him, to encounter him. If I I don't encounter him, then I'm going to go, what happened? Why didn't I encounter him? What, What did I not do right? I may just start back over. But we teach you in, in the foundations, the salvation ministry, there's a prayer that would set your heart right so that you do have an intimate encounter with him. God's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. So all this craziness that's going on around the world, don't, don't let that be a picture of what God's like. No, that's what man is like. And a lot of this craziness that we're seeing, I mean, if you don't, have you, if you haven't realized now that our nation has gone crazy, something's wrong. We're a crazy nation. But I want you to hear this. I don't say that judgmentally. I'm just telling you factually. God wants to heal that craziness. And I want you to listen to the craziness. Don't be judgmental and go, wow, that, you don't call them that. No, 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 no. Be loving and go, okay, what is it? I won't tell you what a lot of it is. They're searching for a father. And they're confused. And guess what? We were at one point confused. Aren't you glad people didn't judge you? Or maybe they did, but eventually somebody came alongside and shared the good news with you. So his intimate departures led to divine direction. Look at what it says in verse 38, 39. Remember, he'd gone to a desolate place. He left early in the morning. You know he was tired. He was exhausted. He had a busy, busy day the day before they found him. Hey, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And listen to what he says in verse 38, 39. It says, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. Now, here's what they want to do. They wanted to stay in Capernaum. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, if Jesus came to Souderton and, you know, and, and it, man, he's just banging it out left and right, healing, touching people. You go, no, 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 you stay here. We don't want you going to Doylestown. They don't need you. They got plenty of money over there. They, they trust their money, whatever, you know? Sorry if you're from Dawson, all right? No, we need him to get to Kensington. Yeah, no, 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 no. You don't need Kensington yet. He just needs to come where I live in Lansdale. He knew something happened in that prayer time. Something happened in that prayer time where he was intimate with God, he was worshiping his own father, but he got divine direction. You're not to stay in Capernaum. So it says here, I, I love this. I was just praying through this. Matter of fact, none of this is from some, some book. This is just what I got from praying through. And I've got, you know, it's good enough for me. It's probably good enough for you. Some of you go, oh, I don't know. Okay. 
Then pray through it yourself, come up with your own sermon. All right. But he says, let us go on to the next town. I want to ask you this question. I want you to hear this. What is the next for you? Because when I was praying through that, man, God began to say, hey, I got a next for you, John. I got a next for you. You ain't through yet. And I'm going, what is my next? It may not be a next city or whatever, but you have a next. The question is, are you going to go to the next? Most of the next is, you know, our, our growth next, our, our development next, our, our leadership next. There is a next for you. There's a next for this church. There's six million people living in the greater Philly area. We can't just start a church every other year. We got to be start. We can't just start a community group, you know, like every year. Or so. No, you need to be developing leaders. Your next goes, hey, who's the leader I'm developing my group so that I can get out of this group and start more groups and more groups and more groups. There, there's next. It's really easy to, to sit on the fence post and go, ah, I've arrived. No, you haven't. I'll tell you when you arrive. When you see the pearly gates, you've arrived. But you got a next and, until you get finished with that. And he says, hey, let us go on to the next towns. Why? That I may preach there, what? Also, for that is why I came out. I came out to get with dad, but while I got with dad, dad said, hey, you've been here long enough. You need to go to the next town. You need to go to the next town. There is a next. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to go to the next? That's part of the excitement of the, we never arrive. There's always something. So he saw that there. Look what it says in Proverbs 29, 18 and John 15, 5. We're almost getting there. It says, where there is what? No prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. You know what that means? All prophetic vision means is God spoke, you heard. That's it. That's, that's all prophetic vision is. We wouldn't have a Bible if there was not prophetic utterance from God. And all prophetic, it doesn't come from your soul. It comes from God. It's what he says, not what you say. It's not what the pastor says. It's what God says. And when I hear him, that's prophetic. He says, well, there's none. I am convinced we, we are, there's a famine of prophetic vision in the church. But here's what I'm even more convinced of. There's a famine of prophetic obedience. If we never ever got, we got enough prophetic word right here to keep us busy for a few years, <laughs> okay? But I'm so glad that God takes his word, he speaks to people, and he says, now, this is what I want you to do at this place at this time. It's a divine specific rhema word for your situation. Look what it says over in John 15, 5. If, you're, if you ever do experience in God, I can tell whether you're really doing it right or not because you can be able to quote this verse. I'm going to be meeting with my 20-something-year-olds tonight, and we're on verse 4. And man, we bang it, bang it, bang it, and we don't move on. If we can't memorize it, we go, up. Oh, we'll do it next week. Listen, Jesus says, I am the vine. You ever tried to be the vine or something else, the vine? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You know why I'm going to bear fruit today? This ain't cocky. This is just confident in his word. I've already prayed this prayer this morning. I'm going, to, I'm going to produce fruit today, and not just in this house. I'm going to produce fruit today. You know why? Because I know that I'm just a branch. He's the vine. I'm abiding in him, and he's abiding in me. 
Abiding just means I'm going to do what he says. Even when the motions may go, are you sure? I don't, that's kind of scary. That's kind of big. You've never done that before. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the sadness of too much of the American church. And I pray we don't become here, but well, maybe God's not moving much, but let's let's make it feel like God's moving. I know I'm getting the meddling here. And I'm not against lights. I'm not against neon. I, I mean, I look better than neon lights behind me, right? I mean, that, that, that I'll, I'll tell you, although the blue don't match my green, but I'm not against any of that at all. And that's not who we are at Keystone. But I see too many times, even in groups or church services or even individually, it feels like God's not moving. So let's make it feel like, that way at least people can walk out feeling good. My goal ain't for you to feel good. In fact, part of my goal is, is that your flesh be offended. I said that too at our elders retreat this week. How many of you this morning already, your flesh has been offended? Raise your hand. That's it? Is my mic on? Check, one, two. I'm going to start all over again. If your flesh hadn't been offended yet, well, I'll just stop there. You're doing well then. You're doing better than me. No, you're not. I'm, I'm lying to you there. Every time I read the Word of God, I, my flesh is offended. Right? I said my flesh, not necessarily my ego, my flesh. My flesh is offended. If your flesh is never offended, something's wrong. Now, when my flesh is offended, guess what I do? I say fl- flesh. No, I don't say it quite that way, but I do say it that way from time to time. Flesh, I'm going to crucify you right now. I'm going to crucify you. You're, you're, you're not going to rule and reign my life. You, you got your way for 30 seconds a while ago. I, I failed. You, but God, I thank you that you, you forgive me, you cleanse me. That's not where I want to live. Because see, if you're never offended, if your flesh is never offended, you're not going to live on divine direction. You're just not going to get there. I'm going to give you an illustration, and we're going to kind of wrap this thing up. This guy's name was Ramil. Uh, he was a pretty successful businessman in a, in a, in a Muslim community in Africa. Very devout Muslim. Came to know the Lord. God gave him a dream. Gave him a dream. He came to know the Lord in the dream. A couple of weeks later, maybe it's a couple of days, I can't remember, he became blind. Now, that, that, I don't understand that. That can mess with your theology. He, he's blinded now, but he knows Jesus. So he can't see here, but he can see. And he got involved in a community group, or what we would call a community group, basically a house church. And during this house church time, they began to teach that we were going to pray, we're going to pray, we're going to fast, and we're going to go to village after village, and we're going to look for people of peace. Until we find a person of peace, we're not going to start anything. This blind guy goes, I want to do that. They're going, you can't do that. You can't see. Well, he didn't listen to him. And they couldn't find him for a couple months. He finally came back and they said, where'd you go? He goes, I went to village so-and-so. It's one of the hard- hardest villages, most radical villages here and uh, to seek a person of peace. And I found a person of peace. He did that twice. Did that twice. Why? Why? Because see, he heard the word of God. He said, I'm going to walk. You know, it's not by me. I'm going to abide in him. See, he didn't wait years. He went to the next. He went 
to the next. He heard God. You know, that's all prayer is. I'm going to give you a quote, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. I heard a guy say this recently. I've heard it before. Prayerlessness is your declaration of independence from God. And is it not powerful? All right. Okay. How many of you now, although that's not scripture, but it, but it is in the sense, prayerlessness is your declaration of independence from God. How many of you, your flesh just got offended by that? All right, a few more. Some of you, not okay, just a few, yeah. How many of you have been there before? Too much prayerlessness. We've all been there, have we not? We can get busy, the wrong kind of busy. Jesus said, no, 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 I need divine direction daily, not weekly, not monthly. I need divine direction every day. And prayerlessness, wow, I never thought about it that way. But when you don't pray, when you don't pray, and you don't consistently pray until you get into emergency, guess what? You, you've been declaring independence from God, independence from God. Now all of a sudden, you go, oh, God, God, God I, yeah, da, 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 no, I, I want your help. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a truth based out of Mark 135, and then I'm, I am finished. See, I closed the Bible there. So pop that up. The next thing is the truth there. Holy Spirit, with your help. Because remember, one of our goals is we want to equip you. And this is one of the things we do in our foundations. We meet with God, but then we come out with truth. Because see, truth, we'd all, we, I hope we'd all agree, this is truth in here, right? From this to here, truth, 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 truth. But guess what? Until you personalize it, it's just truth in this book. That's it. You can even quote it. Listen to this. I, I hear people all the time. You can even quote it. It can be in your mind, sort of in your emotions, but it's not in your will. Remember, the will is the rudder. It's the final deciding of what the Holy Spirit says. So Holy Spirit, with your help, I need help to do everything Jesus says. And Jesus will always ask us to do things that we can't do. Did you hear that? He will always ask you to do something you can't do to drive you to him. Holy Spirit, with your help, based on the truth found in Mark 135, I will daily find solitude with God. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to say that with me. Then we'll help you. You're not, we're not trying to say today you got to do it. We're going to help you. Go to the next foundation. Matter of fact, let's just stand and do this. Let's stand and do this as our priest team comes to the back here. But I want you to look at here. And if you don't feel at ease to say it right now, I understand. But remember, this is not too hard because you're saying Holy Spirit with your help. You're not saying, I, I can do this. I can pull this off. No, 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 you can't pull it off. You notice about November, December, really about for me, November to about through March, April, my covers get like 10 times heavier. It is just like, mm, I don't know if I can pull that back. Oh, man, it feels so good underneath there. But uh, Jesus is waiting at the table for, oh, but these are heavy, these are heavy. I know I need help. So let's say it, one, two, three. Holy Spirit, with your help, based on the truth, Found in Mark 135, I will daily find solitude with God. Let's say it again. Holy Spirit, with your help, based on the truth found in Mark 135, I will daily find solitude with God. And as you do that, I'm going to tell you what will happen. God will revive your soul. He will strengthen your soul. He will give you divine direction. And you'll be sitting on the rudder of life. Amen? Amen. Let's worship the awesome God.